with Mrs. Sorek here. That's great. So did you enjoy your Christmas day yesterday? It's all right, huh? That's great. That's great. Great when family is able to be around. <clears throat> Today we finish up the, um, the series in Isaiah that Pastor Smith began at the beginning of December on Isaiah's messages of hope. And Isaiah, Isaiah is uh, sort of like a, a mini Bible. There are 66 books in the Bible, 66 chapters in Isaiah. There are 39 books in the Old Testament, and there are the first 39 chapters in Isaiah talk about sin and the need for redemption. And we can see that as we read through the Old Testament. The last, starting with chapter 40 uh, on, uh, speaks about although it still has some judgment and it speaks primarily about the fact that uh, of all the wonderful things that are going to happen because, because the nation is redeemed. And that's exactly what we see in the New Testament, is it not? Jesus came. Jesus died. Jesus provided redemption and works towards the end where all becomes new again. Um, <clears throat> as Pastor Smith has mentioned also, and it's important for today, is that these prophecies, uh, not, just not just in Isaiah, but in other places throughout the scripture, it, that prophecy can have either a near fulfillment that was meant for the people during that particular time. It could have a far fulfillment as well. And as we look at today, we'll see that it not only had a far fulfillment, but it had an even further fulfillment farther down into the, into the future. Um, sometimes people, I've, I've heard it uh, described as when you look at the prophecies, it's kind of like looking at a range of misty mountains. There's some that are right up close and you can make out details and things of them. And there's other as it goes farther and farther and farther. You can still tell that they're there, but you're not always able to see exactly what, what they're like. And so today, as we look at... Uh, uh, Isaiah 42, and you can turn there if you would, please. Isaiah 42, we're going to see that Isaiah is is looking at a time when Jesus would be coming would be coming for the first time, which from this point in time was 700 years after Isaiah spoke. But he's also going to be referring to the to the second advent of Jesus too, when all that which is evil is uh, expunged from from the world. Um, these predictions stated by, uh, by God through Isaiah, uh, their anticipation is of this servant who would come. And there are uh, five, I think it is, five servant sections in Isaiah in this last portion of the book that talk about the coming servant. Um, and uh, the Jewish people then were, were, looking, were looking for... Um, looking for this coming of, of the Messiah, whom they, whom they uh, believed was this, this servant. And as we look at, for, for them, as they anticipated the coming of the Messiah, it would have brought them a great deal of hope. It was that which would encourage them 
And again, remember, most of these times, they were all under the hand of some oppressing government. Um, they were... Um, they were a nation that was captive to other, other nations. They had been conquered people. And so it was a really difficult time. And so as we think about that, living on this side of, of that first advent, and looking at the second advent, it, it should, it, well, it can, it should, and it really ought to give those who are part of God's family a real sense of hope and anticipation for the future. So if you would just flip back in your Bible a couple pages, go to Isaiah 40. Uh, again, this is when this uh, second section of the book begins. And a couple things in here, uh, you, you pick up on <clears throat> the encouragement that this was, uh, what, it, what this encouragement was meant to be for these people. The first, the first uh, verse of chapter 40. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all of her sins, that this, this time of judgment is now coming to a close. Look at verses 10 and 11. Behold, the Lord God will come with might with his arm ruling for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. <clears throat> Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs. He will carry them and, and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. God is great. God is powerful. But he is also tender and kind and gentle. Uh, if you look at verses 18 to 26, if you had time to look at those at another time, you'll see that God alone is great and powerful. Uh, that the... Idols are merely impotent, and remember, this is a time when the Israelite people had in mass turned to following the idols, uh, begin to following the pagan practices of the, of the people that lived, lived in Judea and, and Israel. But God alone is, is God, and idols are just merely impotent pieces of wood or stone. God is just, and he will help his people. Look at uh, chapter 40, verse 27, a familiar portion to you. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, that my way is hidden from the Lord and that the justice due me escapes the notice of God? Again, the, the justice that they were saying was due because they had been an oppressed people. It says, do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the end of, ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. What an encouragement to the people of Israel who had been downtrodden. God cares. God cares. Chapter 41 follows in a similar vein, but I'd like you to notice a couple verses in particular at the very end, um, beginning with verse 20, 21 down to 29. It focuses on idolatry and the people, not only the idols, but the people who worshipped those idols. And uh, you get down to verse 24, and the writer uh, Isaiah says, Behold, behold, you are of no account speaking of these idols, and your work amounts to nothing. 
he who chooses you is an abomination. It's like, look at this. Don't miss this. I'm going to say something here and make sure this doesn't skip right by you. Behold, behold. You get down to verse 29 of the chapter. And this one, it's more focusing on, on the people, the pathetic idolaters who, who, are, who are serving, who are bowing down to these objects of wood and stone. He says, behold, same word. Look at this. Don't miss this. Behold, all of them are false. Their works are worthless. Their molten images are wind and emptiness. And then you get to chapter 42. And notice how it starts. Behold, behold, don't miss this. The things that I've been directing, and <clears throat> Isaiah is saying, the things that I uh, directed before this, these idols, these impotent pieces of, of material things, he says, these are nothing. These are absolutely nothing. But behold, behold, behold my servant. Behold my servant. Um, <clears throat> on, on this particular um, portion of scripture, and if I understand it correctly, it's the, the, a pattern that you see in each of these servant psalms is that they, they put them in, 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 like in parallel. The first part of the passage goes through, in this case, um, um, in this case, it arranges those those first those 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 nine verses in two sections. Uh, if we can get that here, it comes up here now. <clears throat> there's a statement, verses one to four, and then there's a confirmation of it in verses five to nine. But it's speaking about the same things: the first parts, the second part, and the third part. And so it's meant to be a confirmation. Like doubly saying what needs to be said. You don't want to miss this. So, <clears throat> first, we'll be looking just in the first four verses. The servant comes with God's authority and his truth. And uh, so, we, so we read in, in verse, verse 1, Behold, my servant who I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. Now, look at this. Look at my servant. You've been taking, you've been looking at the idols and worshiping them. Says, but now, look at, look at my servant, God says. The idols are nothing. My servant is everything. It's important to note, and we talk about these servant psalms here, and particularly this particular one. Prior to the time Jesus came, the Jewish interpreters interpreted this psalm, or, uh, this, this portion of scripture, as speaking about the Messiah. After Jesus came, they changed their interpretation and said it refers to the nation. Now, there are times, even in Isaiah, when he uses the term servant, and it clearly is a reference to the nation of Israel. But there's other places where it's very clear it's referring to a person. But liberal commentators today, as well as... Uh, Hebrew writers or rabbis today would say that this does not refer to the Messiah. Because in order to, if they would say that, what does that mean? They missed him. They missed him. And so this is, this is a portion of scripture that deals with, with, with the Messiah. As a matter of fact, there was one 
um, was kind of like a, a paraphrase of this portion of the Old Testament by an ancient Jewish writer. And when, when he paraphrased that, he said, he didn't use the term servant. He said, behold, my Messiah. So that's where they were at one point in time, but that's not where they're at today. Um, he says he's chosen by God, chosen by the Father and directed by the Spirit. And God delights, delights in the servant. He's pleased with both the person and the work of the Spirit. The Spirit had, remember, the Spirit had a role in his coming, correct? It talks about how when Mary says, how can this be? He said, the Holy Spirit will overshadow overshadow you. And if you would look in the portion of scripture in, um, oh, excuse me, in, um, in Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 32, where it's Simeon's song, there's three different times he mentions the Spirit. It says he was in the Spirit when he came into the temple. It says the Spirit came upon him, and he spoke through the Spirit. And so even before even, you know, from the earliest times, uh, God's spirit was very evident in the work of the Messiah. It says he delights in him. Do you remember the uh, phrase uh, that was spoken when Jesus was baptized? It says, and uh, the dove comes and lands, uh, uh, lands upon him, and there's a voice from heaven. And what does, what does the Father say? This is my son in whom I am well pleased, well pleased. Indeed, he is, he is a delight to the Father. Now, there's another word, a word that you're going to see here in these first four verses. It's the word justice. You see that in verse 1. Uh, you see that in verse 3. You also see that in verse 4. Um, it says, he will bring justice to the nations. Now, God is the eternal judge. He, he alone declares <clears throat> what is right and what is wrong. As Hebrews 4, 17 says, he alone is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of, of the heart. When we think of justice in this context, don't be thinking of a judge sitting in a courtroom situation. Um, what, he's, what he's actually speaking about here <clears throat> is he's declaring God's standards of right and wrong. Hebrew poetry many times rhymes thoughts and ideas, not necessarily words. And you can see this when you get down to verse 4. You know, it says, he will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And what is the parallel phrase to that? And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Yes, it's God's truth that he's speaking about here. That's what the Messiah would come to, to present to the people. He will faithfully bring forth. He will faithfully teach, teach this word. Um, it will be, notice in verse, um, uh, in, in verse one, it will be something that, that he teaches to the nations. This is not just speaking about Israel here. This is going much farther than just that. Um, Psalm 25 says, uh, verses eight and nine, God is upright. God, good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in justice and teaches the humble his way. That is what the Messiah came to do. The servant will declare and teach God's standards of right and wrong. That's what the servant will do. 
Notice also verses 2 and 3. He comes with compassion and humility. Um, uh, He says, he will not cry out or raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will declare truth with humility. Uh, His words, his tone of voice, his volume, all uh, would be in order to help people, not to manipulate people so that their behavior would coincide with what he wants, but to speak to their heart, to have a change to have a change from within. Um, Matthew chapter um, 19, we see when Jesus uh, was ministering here on earth. And it talks about the time that children came to see him and the disciples got a little bit ticked at it, you know? It's like, come on, what are you, what are you people doing here? What are you kids doing here? Scram. And what is it that Jesus says? Jesus says to them, he rebukes them. Jesus rebukes the people, the, the, these disciples. Let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Yes, he comes with humility. He teaches with humility. There's times he was forceful, but that was because the situation called for it. But Jesus was a humble, a humble teacher. Now, the servant will offer compassionate care to hurting people. He'll not dismiss that which is injured or, or useless. A bruised reed. You know, if, if, that's, if that's broken and bent, it's not going to be good for anything but fertilizing. Uh, the dimly burning wick is, is one that's just about ready to go uh, out. And rather than say, I just about finished, you know, and get, get the thing out. No, he's not going to do it. It's what can he do in order to help, help those that are in distress, help those that are hurting, help those that have needs that perhaps are normally um, ignored by, by other people. Um, Jesus, do you remember um, when he was at, uh, he had been teaching a large crowd of people and he says to the, he says to the disciples, um, I feel compassion for the people because they've remained with me for three days and have nothing to eat. And that's when he ended up um, multiplying the loaves and fishes. He felt for the needs of people. Uh, the servant has compassionate, compassionate care. Um, and he will, he will declare God's truth. He'll focus on all of his teaching. And that's what his invitation was. Do you remember Matthew 11? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and what? I, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy. And so, so take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that does not mean without difficulty. It means that it's worth it. It's worth it. Um, the servant comes with God's authority and his truth. He will serve with compassion and humility. And the servant guarantees the victory of righteousness. Ultimately, what is right wins. Uh, Look at verse 4. 
He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. Um, he, he won't extinguish the dimly lit wick. He's not going to just break off. He's going he's to treat people with tenderness, but he himself is going to be tough. He is going to be tough. Um, he says he will not be disheartened or crushed. Nobody's going to defeat him. Until what? Until he brings righteousness to bear in all the earth. The servant, no one will be able to successfully oppose. No one will be able to defeat. He will accomplish the task given by the Father. He will bring God's righteousness to bear just as it was as we read about in Genesis chapter 1 at the garden. The coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. People, nations, the earth, the earth itself. It's interesting when you think of the earth almost as if it has a personality, but as if it's like we knew what this was, know what this was like at the beginning, and it is anything but that now. And in Romans, Romans chapter 8, you read, you read about this. Paul puts this into words where he says, For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God to the time when the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Looking forward to it. Um, this whole passage here that we've just been reading um, in, in Matthew, Matthew chapter 12, verses 18 to 21, the writer, the gospel writer, quotes this whole passage in here and applies it to the Messiah. Behold, my servant I have chosen, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him, and he shall proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel nor cry out. Nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles, the Gentiles will hope. It doesn't say it's just the Jewish people. It's the, all the people. All the people. So we see here Matthew even taking this whole passage and applying it to, to Jesus. Jesus the servant. The first four verses, the servant comes with the authority of God. He has compassion and humility. He serves. Um, his service will be such that righteousness is guaranteed. It will, will come. And as we look at the last five verses of this particular portion, we see he's going to go through that same sequence again. And again, this is just confirmation that indeed it is true. Uh, verse Verse 5. <clears throat> He says, thus says the Lord, thus, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and its offspring, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. Uh, he's going to continue on saying that I have called you out of, called you um, in, in righteousness, he says. The, the servant is infinite in power. Why? Because it is the creator God 
that empowers him. Uh, he maintains, not only created, but maintains the universe, creates life and maintains the working of the planet uh, to, to support life. Um, so indeed, with that kind of authority, with that kind of authority, indeed, the servant is going to accomplish what God calls him to do. Psalm 33, verse 8 and 9 says, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the earth stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done, he commanded and it stood firm. Yes, indeed, he will accomplish it because he comes with the Father's authority. Jesus said in John 8, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. The servant indeed does act under and with God's authority. The servant is righteous and fulfills God's righteous plan. I am the Lord, verse 6. I have called you in righteousness. I will also hold you by the hand and watch over you. And I will appoint you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the nations. The Lord does not call, uh, does not call and then leave the servant to his own, uh, his own devices. Uh, included in the calling or divine commitment uh, that always accompanies, accompanies him. I will, I will hold you by the hand. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, to keep safe, to watch over you, and to achieve your exec- objectives, appoint you as a covenant to the people. In Isaiah 54, uh, verse 10, uh, Isaiah would, would write, For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken. As it's stated, indeed, they will accomplish all of God's work. He will bring justice to the nation. It also refers to this humility with which the servant um, will serve. Uh, verse 7, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those who dwell in darkness from the prison. You see the compassion and humility uh, the servant has. And all you need to do is just scan through the Gospels and you can see uh, how Jesus cared, cared for people, how he did give sight to the blind. Yeah, he even raised people from, from the dead. But it's not just speaking about the physical needs here. He's certainly referring to spiritual needs as well. Um, let me get my spot here. Second <clears throat> um, Corinthians four. Thank you. <clears throat> I thought I would get through this without water. Um, so yes, indeed, he serves with compassion and humility. We see this done in physical ways during his time here on earth. But it also certainly applies to spiritual needs and, and sinful issues. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And the only way people begin to understand that is, is when blind eyes are made to see. And that is what Jesus does. Um, 
uh, Colossians 2.8. See to it that, that no, that, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to, to Christ. Um, again, we can get, we can get sidetracked. Um, and Jesus is the one who can help us with that as well. Can help us to stay on course, to know his truth and to follow his truth. Second Peter 2.9 uh, speaks of people who give personal witness to the fact that Jesus has called them out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Yes, indeed, he does, as it says, open the eyes of the blind, bring out prisoners from the dungeon, and those who dwell in darkness from prison, in both physical ways and spiritual ways. That's what the servant will do. And he guarantees the victory of righteousness. Verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. He is the great I am, the one true God, the only God who alone deserves all honor and praise. He says, behold, the former things have come to pass. Those are the prophecies already fulfilled, the things that he has said that have already come to, come to bear. <clears throat> but then he says, now I declare things before they spring forth. Before they spring forth, I proclaim them to you. This is the new prophecy. This is what he's been talking about here. This is going to happen, uh, Isaiah says. The coming of the servant in his work, the defeat of sin and sinfulness, the establishment of righteousness, which will never end, is guaranteed because the almighty creator has so decreed and promised it. Um, I'm not sure if Nebuchadnezzar really came to understand the one true God, but he certainly described him very well in Daniel 4, verses 34 and to 35, where Nebuchadnezzar said, speaking about the Lord, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? He is the sovereign king, and what he says, guaranteed, will happen. At the time of Isaiah's Writing, Israel was experiencing really dark times. Uh, many living in Judah had forsaken the worship of Jehovah and had substituted idols in his, in his place. People feared invasion from hostile nations. And with the exception of a few kings, the government was corrupt and self-serving. Hearing this prophetic word from God through the mouth and writing of Isaiah would hopefully have stirred Hope in the hearts of the faithful. God would one day bring about justice and righteousness to their world. 200 plus years later, people would begin to hear about the writings of Daniel, and in particular his prophecy of the 70 weeks of years, which for those that 
took time to follow what he said. They couldn't pinpoint the exact day, but 200 years, but excuse me, but 500 years later, there was an anticipation of Messiah's coming right during this time when Jesus would come because they knew it had to be around in this area for that's what Daniel had, had predicted. As the centuries rolled on, the Jewish people, save for a short time, lived under the rule of conquering nations. At the time of Jesus' birth, they suffered under the cruel hands of the Roman Empire. And though it was still a very dark time in their history, when it came time for God's action through Zacharias and Elizabeth and Mary and Joseph, people, people were expecting that the Messiah is going to be coming here pretty soon. The first fulfillment of Isaiah 42 occurred when Jesus came to earth, a baby born of a young Jewish girl. And its fulfillment continued through the years that Jesus' ministry, when he taught God's truth and challenged people to repent of a self-righteous religion and begin to follow God from the heart. He declared himself to be the Messiah and demonstrated the reality of his claim by the miracles he performed. The rejection at his first advent, his first coming, led to the the fulfillment of God's plan of redemption, the means by which people could be fully freed from, from the sin, which prior to that time could have only been covered by animal sacrifices. The sacrificial death on the cross, another serving passage, Isaiah 53, Uh, and resurrection paid once and for all the sin debt of all of humanity. His ascension in heaven began what we now, this time period now in which, which we live, in anticipation of when he will return. Uh, This will be at his second coming and fulfill as Isaiah 42 predicted. He will bring forth justice to the nations and he will establish justice on the earth He will be a light to the nations. Three different verses in the passage that we just looked at this morning. It's this hope which Isaiah's prophecy points to, which stirred the heart of a Massachusetts pastor. His name was uh, Pastor Edmund Hamilton Sears. It was 1849. After graduating from seminary, he served in a church in Wayland, Massachusetts, before uh, moving on to a larger congregation in Lancaster up in Massachusetts. After seven years of hard work, he suffered a breakdown and returned to Wayland. He began to write a poem during this time of personal depression. With the news of revolution in Europe and the United States war with Mexico fresh in his mind, Sears portrayed the world as dark, full of sin, and strife in not hearing the angel's message. What's that message? A savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. You see, you can pick up on his melancholy in a stanza that of this Christmas carol that we usually don't, if it's not in our hymn books, most hymn books today. Here's what it says. But with the woes of sin and strife, The world has suffered long. Beneath the angel's strain have rolled 2,000 years of wrong. 
A man at war with man hears not the love song which they bring. Oh, hush the noise, ye men of strife, and hear the angels sing. What are they singing? Jesus is coming. Can you hear the heavy-hearted but hopeful cry that people would believe only the, the truth that only Jesus can give? Pastor Sears made it very personal in the stanza that we do have in our hymn books. Uh, and ye beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow, look now. For glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. O rest beside the weary road and hear the angels sing. I know in the Christmas season, there are people who feel crushed beneath a load. Every step is painful. It's weighing them down. And the message of Psalm of I saw Isaiah, Isaiah 42, that the servant is going to take care of all of this. The servant is going to bring righteousness to all the world one day. And even when we are feeling low, Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. A rest beside the weary road. And how do we hear the angels sing today? We look in the book. It's the truth of his word. Because all the angels do is declare God's truth. Those who are a part of his uh, family <clears throat> through faith in Jesus as their savior and leader for their life are rightful heirs of all of God's promises. And though Jesus said his children would experience problems, disappointments, troubles, yes, even persecution and great hardship, they could rest assured that at his second coming, all will be made right. Truth, justice, righteousness would reign and a home in heaven awaits. So as we think about these words written by Isaiah from a perspective 2,000 years after Messiah's birth, I pray that it will enable us to see beyond the baby lying in a manger and see the Savior who will come again to reign, who promises to care for his children today, tomorrow, and for eternity. And may that bring us hope. He came the first time to redeem. He comes the second time to reign. And it will come. It will come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I am grateful that we can have confidence that you will do that which is good and best. That you have a plan, Father. And though sometimes it seems hidden, we can trust that you will faithfully do all that you said that you would. And we rest in that. I would pray today, Lord, for any that are here this day who are, who are struggling, Lord. Maybe they're struggling because they, they 
don't have that personal relationship with you, Lord, I would ask that that you would ignite a spark within their own heart and mind to seek after you. And others, Lord, who may just, just be having a hard time, and I would pray, Lord, that the truth of your word and the promises for the, that you have made regarding the future uh, would, would buoy the spirits that are here and that we would have hope. And I ask this, please, in Jesus' name, amen.